in the Son's name. Amen. <coughs> okay, everyone, welcome back. Aletheia, I hope you're with us tuning in this morning. Um, good morning and welcome back. And to anyone who is maybe coming back for a second or third or fourth or fifth time or however many times it's been since uh, COVID-19, thanks for being back. Um, so as I said um, in our prayer just now, we are going over for one final and fifth time this month what it means to receive blessings from God. So to recap again shortly, one final and fifth time, week one, we refreshed in general what it means to be blessed and how the world has taken that idea of blessing and accosted it into um, meaning really nothing, certainly nothing grounded in, in God and, and in God's word. It's being um, misused in a trivial way. It's being handled poorly. It's a reward for self-sufficiency. It's a, it's a chaotic, dumb luck, sort, dumb luck sort of thing. It's uh, a sloppy understanding and a godless glorification. So that was a week one of um, just refreshing in general what it means to be blessed. In week two, we talked about the importance of relationship with God as being foundational in understanding what it means to receive blessings. And we, we did um, some brief study into some of these Old Testament forefathers and how their relationship with God uh, and walking with him specifically was, was a reference point and a reason for the inheritance that they would receive, both in, in the immediate and in uh, eternity and, and the forever. So that was week two. We also have the relationship necessary to uh, understand and receive blessings for what they are uh, and for what they mean. And this is our single most sort of uh, important blessing that we receive in, in, in the same way, is our relationship with God. In week three, we talked about the um, less talked about thing, the unpopular thing, and we talked about suffering and what it means to suffer uh, in terms of understanding it as, as a blessing, you know, receiving our suffering um, as, as a blessing from God and um, sort of rethinking the way we think about our circumstances and the trials that we're going through um, and how it's an opportunity to partner with Christ, as it says in scripture. Uh, when we suffer, we should be challenging ourselves and those around us to suffer well, as I said to suffer with grace and, humil and humility and to keep in mind just the larger picture that um, is involved as God's people and how it should motivate us uh, to produce, you know, good works and, and right relationships and, and righteous works and relationships um, when we go through those things rather than, as I said in, in week three, bending our knee to the circumstances of suffering and, and understanding that as the realest truth there is. So you might remember me talking about that. Receive your suffering well. Receive it as Christ received it. Received it as the apostles received it in his name. That was week three. And then last week, week four, you remember we talked about the false teaching that is the, the prosperity uh, faith, the prosperity theology. It's an entitled position that misunderstands the hierarchy between God and man and places man above, places man at the top of that, that ladder, uh, placing man in a position to view God as, uh, as the, the term I borrowed last week was the, the cosmic 
concierge, you know, our own personal butlers that we can, we can trigger whenever we need or want. Um, as I said last week, if, if this is true, which it's not, um, but if it's true, as, as you know, these people, these false teachers would have you think, then grace becomes obsolete and God is irrelevant and man becomes the center of all things. And if man becomes the center of all things, capable of um, you know, triggering God and, and manifesting his own desires and, and realities and pleasures and so on, then I ask the question, what does blessing even mean anymore? Because remember, as we talked about in the, in the first couple weeks, blessing carries with it an intrinsic connection to uh, a recognition of who God is. So if this prosperity sort of teaching is true, then it sort of renders the whole thing meaningless. And, and where do we go from there? What does blessing even mean then? Because it's just something we can, we can do for ourselves. So that was last week. Um, yeah, you can't remove God and still have you know, a proper and true understanding of blessing. So that's what we've covered so far, week one, two, three, and four, and here we are in week five, and this week we are ending with one final foundational understanding of what it means to receive blessings, and I mentioned it last week uh, in closing, and so here we are to usher myself out, to usher Colin in next week as he talks about um, giving. Today's sermon will be sort of the transitionary sermon between what it means to receive blessings and understanding its direct relationship to giving of them. So when we receive blessings, it comes with an expectation that we don't keep it for ourselves, but that we give it back. We put it back out there. Um, so that's what, this, that's what this week is for. So Colin will forgive me if I step on his toes a little bit, but there's, there is an intrinsic connection here between the two, between receiving what God wants for us and then using that. So you can't, you can't understand it fully without understanding the relationship between the two. So uh, to understand this, uh, we're going to be rooted uh, this week in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And it's a, it's a, it's a point in scripture that I, I referenced briefly last week when talking about, uh, when talking about the prosperity teaching. And, you know, they cite this particular portion of scripture, chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, as a, as a way to, you know, trigger God, and God wants for us to be rich, you know, he emptied himself so we can be rich, and so we, we I briefly mentioned it last week, so this is where we are this week, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, I'll just read the whole chapter for you guys, it's pretty short, so um, it won't uh, be too much of a sacrifice for you, it's only 15 verses, so if you don't already have your Bible in front of you, grab it real quick. And we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So here we go. <clears throat> Our focus will be from 6 to the end, but as I said, I'll read, I'll read the whole thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. So once again, remember... The prosperity teacher wants you to think that this is a take, take, take portion of scripture, but it's absolutely the opposite. It's about giving. Um, so remember that. I'm sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I've been telling them, your money is all collected, and I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. 
So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. So here's our focus for the day moving forward. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. I think a more accurate translation is thank God for his gift, too wonderful for words. So, this point in scripture, rightfully so, is often talked about in terms of giving and what scripture has to say about giving, you know, giving from the heart, so on and so forth. But if we, you know, look at it here and we analyze it, it's, it's dynamic. It's not just about giving. It has as much to say about um, giving as it does receiving. Okay? It starts from receiving, then giving is an action once we recognize the full context and um, source of, of what we're given. So <clears throat> that's my sort of angle for today, if you will, is to understand the dynamicness of what Paul's talking about. He's not just talking about giving. He's also talking about receiving because of giving and giving because of receiving. And so again, the two are um, definitely connected. So yeah, he concludes his sort of um, thought process here in these last two chapters in eight and nine by pointing to the Corinthians um, the result of their generous giving. And he sort of concludes it with this um, seemingly, you know, catchphrasey kind of thing. Uh, when he says, you know, when he talks about the farmer. Uh, he has his own sort of um, clickbait, if you will. You know, that's, uh, it's a thing for us. We like, we, like, we like catchphrases and easy to remember things. And he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. So um, same, same concept, you know, if you're reading the NASB or many other translations, I think it talks about sowing and reaping when talking about the farmer who plants um, generously versus uh, sparingly. Sowing and reaping, planting, and, and, and um, your return for your plant, and so on and so forth. It's the same thing. And he's quoting sort of a popular saying that both he has used um, consistently and is used um, in general throughout Scripture. Uh, again, he, he uses it in Galatians chapter 6, for example. He says the same sort of thing. Harvest what you plant. You will harvest what you plant. 
And similarly, throughout the Old Testament, we find a similar sort of principle. We find it in Job, chapter 4. We find it in, throughout the book of Proverbs um, 11, chapter 11, chapter 22, for example. We see it in Hosea. We see Paul most closely parallel, parallel this principle that he's giving, this saying that he's giving when, he, uh, when we look at Luke chapter 6, when Christ himself says something of very similar fashion, the principle that's consistent throughout Scripture that Christ himself talks about. And he says this in Luke chapter 6, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount, determine the amount you give back. The point is that it's a consistent it's a consistent message. It's not Paul just making up something new to, you know, sort of give them something nice to hang on to or an encouragement for their giving, but I mean it is an encouragement for their giving, but it's a consistent principle throughout God's word that we see. And it's a principle, as I said, we see all over uh, scripture. What you put in, you will take out. Or what you put out, rather, you will take in. Uh and it's, it's this universal principle that God establishes for his kingdom that Paul is, is saying here. And he's using it in this context as it relates to generosity and giving. It's used to talk about um, sin. It's used to talk about uh, judging others, for example. Um, the way that you, what you plant, you will receive. So if you plant an abundance of judgment, you will receive an abundance of judgment. That's pretty popular in today's culture. People want to live in a world that is fully judgmental and then are surprised when it comes back around on them. This principle Paul is using in regards to generosity and giving, and he uses the analogy of the farmer. Planting little means you can expect little. Planting much means you can expect much. Much can be expected. And the first sort of governing principle, if you will, that I want to talk about um, and that's stated here is this, very simply, the way that you sow, the way that you give is the, the way that you will reap. Again, NASB, sowing, reaping, NIV, all kinds of different translations. I think King James even talks about it in sowing and reaping. Um, the NLT is the sort of dumbed down idea for idea, if you will, which is why it's, it's the easily accessible one. So um, that's the one we choose from, but a more correct translation is this idea of sowing and reaping. There's a sense in which we should give away what we have because we can, because we have it, because we've been blessed with it. Um, and we should, we should do it w- with a certain way. You know, he's speaking to our hearts. Not that we should expect something, but in the same token, you can expect something when it's in the proper context. But first, he makes sure to set these parameters for, for giving what you've already received. And he talks about it directly to the heart. And that when we do so, we know we will be rewarded by God for this level of generosity and gracious giving. In Proverbs 19, another, another, um, another area of scripture when it talks about this. If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord. He will repay you. So in introducing this principle that Paul is giving here, of sowing and reaping, he's telling us that giving freely of what we have means that is the means by which God provides us more. So when we give freely, that's when God says, wow, this person's doing exactly as I would want them to do. And so we have this input 
output. Input, output. God gives us, we should be giving what we have. We should be putting to use what we have. And he sustains us, and boom, and so forth, and so on. And so to receive blessing means to give freely what we've already been blessed with. And there's absolutely an expectation to be doing that. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but the one who sows bountifully will reap in the same way, will reap bountifully. And according to this principle that Paul's giving, to give in this way is to have an abundant return. Not that you should first expect that. I'm going to do this so that I can expect this. You know, he talks about it from the heart. Not begrudgingly, not, not with pressure to do so, but from a cheerful and joyous heart. Again, I want to be careful not to, not to step too much into Colin's territory. Um, I want to try to come at it from the angle of receiving, but the primary motivation should be because it's, our, it's what we take joy in. It's what God wants us to do, and so we do it. We don't just do it because, you know, that's what Scripture said. He speaks to the heart in this, in this manner. And that's, that's, a, that's a formula all throughout Scripture, you know. Scripture isn't just do this because I said do this, you know. Do this, reason, 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 because what you've been given, because you didn't deserve it, so on and so forth. This is why we do this. Paul's speaking in the same way. Do it with a cheerful and joyous heart. Don't just do it with, uh, you know, pressure and um, with bitterness and so on. Do it because that's what I want you to do. That's what you should take joy in. That's what I've given you. You should give back in the same way. What you've received, you should give. And it's this, it's this, um, this circle, this cycle. But we don't often think this way as people, you know. Uh, think about how we, how, how man views investments, for example. What is the point in you or I investing in something? If you just think about it, like think about investing in something. I would probably guess that nine times out of ten or ten times out of ten, it's with the expectation of what I can get back in return. So, so self and I is the primary motivation for investment. Uh, you know, will I earn more money? Will I earn more respect? Will I earn, you know, status? Will I earn opportunity? Will I earn, you know, so on and so forth? What will, what will my investment get for me? So there's a, there's a, there's a fundamental, like, um, flawed attitude toward investment nowadays. And we apply the same sort of selfish view of investments in regards to, to people. And we talk about it often here. Um, we talk about it, you know, social contract and so on and so forth. But we have this skewed and flipped um, idea of what actually is presented in Scripture. And Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that giving generously what we've received, because we've received it, is not only to be an act of joy, but an act of faith. And so when we think about investments, again, we don't often think about it in terms of that. We often, you know, have a hard time getting over, well, this is not going to play out for me, so why would I invest in it? There's no way I'm going to get back my investment. Um, why would I choose to, you know, sacrifice my time or energy or money or resources or skills or, or whatever? Like, I can't, I can't foresee this playing out for me, so I'm not going to do it. That's the attitude we have. Um, but Paul introduces um, another principle of giving in response to this. And what he offers in his message to this church in Corinth is 
When we sow generously, God allows you to reap bountifully, to get an abundance back so that you may be able to be given, to give more, sorry. And I think that that is an interesting kicker that we don't often think about. Scripture says that when God gives us something, when we are blessed by God, he gives it to us with the expectation to put it back out there, and then that's when he gives us more so that we can continue to put it back out there, and, and, so, we can con- and so on and so forth. Again, it's this, this constant flow, if you will, of God provides, God blesses, God, puts it, God expects us to put it out there. When he sees we put it out there, boom, and so on and so forth. And this is, this is righteous living. This is holy living. This is sacrificial living that Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians. So as much as it's a, a portion of Scripture that's often talked about in terms of giving, there is, again, an intrinsic connection to receiving first. We receive so that we can give. We receive so that we can give. When God sees this, he gives us more and gives us more and gives us more. It's not receiving and hoarding and hoarding and hoarding. It's not how we get things. So I think it's an interesting um, sort of kicker and qualifier statement that we see here in 2 Corinthians. We don't, we don't again, hoard um, he doesn't give us an abundance for our own self-indulgence, as we talked about last week, because he wants us to be rich. He emptied himself so that we can be rich for our own um, pleasure and desire. He provides us those things for, to, to be used for others, to be um, put back into the body of Christ, to be um, put into use for ministering to people in need, to be put into use to connecting people to God so that they can see his work in your life and so on and so forth. So it's this, it's this principle that he sets up when we receive blessings. We need to understand that it's to be used in a certain way, not just for ourselves and for our own you know, comfort and, and, and so on and so forth. Giving generously is giving yeah, graciously and understanding that act of grace that, that he is working in you. Uh, and when we show it to others, when we show that same act of uh, gracious, generous giving, God replenishes our grace so that we can continue to do it. In verse 8 there in Second Corinthians. He provides for us in his grace so that we can provide for others in grace. And we are to emulate this process and this, this, this thing that he sets up in us and in his, his, you know, his will and his kingdom. God is the one who supplies and multiplies the blessing, and it needs to look a certain way. And to receive blessings means to do right by what is bestowed to us, to put to use what was from him for him. <clears throat> and like most principles we see um, in Scripture throughout, it's, it's sort of the opposite of what we naturally think and practice in our own lives in regards to, to generosity here even. Uh, we believe we can show generosity to others only after we've amassed enough, you know, only after we feel comfortable, only after we're making sure that we are taken care of and so on. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to give to others once I'm assured I have enough for myself, but that's, that's the problem. That's, again, the flipped view that man has of what God provides. I never quite reach the point where I think I have enough for myself. And that's the conundrum we find ourselves in. I think about the, um, the like phenomenon of bigger, what is it, bigger, bigger income, bigger lifestyle, I think it is. You know, you, you get more, and so then you, you, get, you go into this black hole of needing more, 
which really is just wanting more, and you never quite escape it. My lifestyle or my, my income increases or my resources increases or my skills increase, and so what I do with those things you know, plunges me further away from actually what God would have me do with those things. And it's this, as I said, it's this sort of black hole of temptation and ungodliness, quite frankly. But here, Paul says, first and foremost, we should be giving generously to others. So receiving that thing is first and foremost with the thought of, how can I use it? How can I put it back into, the, uh, into God's kingdom, into ministering to his people? It's not first and foremost for ourselves. God will cause me to reap in abundance so that I may give even more. <clears throat> I must give joyfully and in faith, looking to God to provide for my own needs, as well as the continued uh, needs of others. I often oftentimes we think about like at least two really popular um, stories in Scripture in regards to giving. We think about Cain and the way that, or not, <laughs> sorry, whoops. We think about Abel and the way that he gave versus Cain, sorry. And we think about, um, and you know, God counted him as righteous because of how he gave and his, his, his you know, heart. And we think about the widow and her might and though she had nothing in, in, in relative terms, she gave all that she had. And so God, you know, counts her as righteous and faithful. Um, and we think about these things and it's good that we think about these things and these are, you know, easy to remember, quick, quick draw sort of stories we have um, for when we think about giving. But there's another story in scripture that I was thinking about that is, uh, it's good. It's good for the same sort of concept, but it's not one we often, you know, look back to and read. So I thought it was a good opportunity to do so. So I think about the story of Elijah and the Gentile widow in uh, Zarephath. Zarephath, Zarephath, recorded in 1 Kings Chapter 17. So, uh, allow me to read it. Um, please follow along if you have your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 17. Think about this woman when we think about what we've been given and how we can give it back and put it back um, toward God in return. We don't often think about this story, but it's a good one, um, and it's uh, profound even. Uh, so, starting at chap uh, verse 8 of chapter 17 in 1 Kings. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the only city, or near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water and a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear, I swear by the Lord your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. And I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. And for what's left to prepare... Uh, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. And there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. And sometime later, the woman's son became sick and he grew worse and worse. And finally, he died. 
And then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. And Elijah cried out loud, O Lord, my God, what have you brought? Why have you brought this tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer. And the life of the child returned, and he revived. And then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. And the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. I think it's a profound story for a simple, a simple verse that's noted in there, but we'll get to that. This woman was not given an abundance of food and instructed to feed Elijah first. She didn't make sure she had everything she needed so that she can do as God had commanded this prophet. By any standard of man, she was uh, not well taken care of. She was virtually out of food. She literally said, I'm about to do this last thing, this last meal, and then go die. That was her plans for the day, not to make light of it. (coughs) And she was without food and instructed to give first to the prophet and to trust God to provide for her and her son in a time when that seems impossible. You know, consider her circumstances. Her plan for the day was to make a final meal and then go die. Here comes Elijah telling her this thing. She was seemingly taking food from her own child in order to first feed Elijah, in order to first give to one of God's people. But we see that in doing this and giving what she had, the last of it, the only of it, God provided for her. And she continued to feed Elijah and so on. And we see this cycle, this, this um, cycle of, uh, of, of input and sustenance and output. And input and sustenance and output. We see this widow of Zarephath demonstrating it. Her, her faith wasn't in what she had uh, and even though it was very little, it, it wasn't in getting more first so that she can have it, you know? Waiting until we've been blessed enough before we decide to give what we already have um, for God and to, for, to put it to use that way is to do wrong by it. And I think that this is a profound piece of scripture that demonstrates the heart that we should be having and understanding what we have first and how we can give it. We're not being useful stewards to what God has given us, be it anything, be it, like I said, skills or, you know, finances or uh, any sort of material resources or, you know, uh, other resources. We're not being useful stewards of it if we aren't using those things now and seeking, like, opportunities to use them now in every opportunity that presents himself, even in extreme circumstances like we see here. How are, we, how are we ready, you know, if we think about it to ourselves and ask ourselves the question, how are we ready to do what she is willing to do here? Are we ready to do what she is willing to do here, even in extreme circumstances? Because we acknowledge that what God given us is to be used, you know? It's not to be hoarded. 
what we receive, the blessings we received, is meant to be used for God, for his people, for the gospel, and so on. And this is a true acknowledgement of and reception of blessing that we should come to understand, and understanding it's this intrinsic connection to giving, receiving and giving. Using what we've been blessed with for the benefit of others is deemed by God as a righteous action. And Paul here quotes Psalms 112 when he states, their good deeds will be remembered forever. I'll read it to you real quick. It's 10 verses, Psalms 112. How joyful, praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their businesses fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds remembered forever. They will have influence and honor and the wicked will see this and be infuriated and they will grind their teeth in anger and they will slink away their hopes thwarted. The world wants you to hoard what God has given you. That is the opposite of what we see in scripture. What God gives us, receiving that blessing well, means to use it well. Use it well. Look for opportunities to use it well. Now, don't hoard it. Don't misunderstand uh, that you're supposed to have enough or be comfortable or so on and so forth. Receive what God has given you now, be it little, be it lot, so that you can be replenished and continue this act of giving. That's what Paul says here in Corinthians. It's as much about giving as it is about receiving and then giving, and then receiving. And you see this this consistent cycle. Their good deeds will be remembered forever, it says. And this seems like a hard to fathom concept in today's culture, you know. Uh, Our good deeds being remembered forever. Uh, I don't know if you've turned on, like, the news, but history is being toppled. (laughs) Like, good deeds aren't remembered um, forever by man's standard. You know, statues are being pulled down. It's hard to imagine that man will remember our deeds in our current climate and this fallen world. But God will. And God is the only one capable, and his kingdom is the only thing capable of remembering these deeds, this righteous actions of giving, of receiving, and then giving. God will honor our righteousness in heaven, is what scripture says. So that's where our hope should rest. And this is the motivation uh, to our witness as it pertains to receiving and returning blessings, receiving and then giving blessings, living in a way that's satisfying and honorable to him and our legacy remembered forever when put into the context of forever. The writer of Hebrews uh, says this in chapter 13, to quote uh, chapter 13 of Hebrews for the second time today, apparently, don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are sacrifices that please God, it says. And Paul tells the church in Philippi that everything he received personally from them, they can be sure is a sweet-smelling sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. So a third and final principle that we can extrapolate from Paul is simple. When we give generously with joy in our hearts, when we understand that what we have is meant to be given with joy in our hearts, we can be sure 
that God is glorified. And isn't that the point? To receive blessings, to put them to use, means to be a useful servant in the glorification and thanksgiving to God. And that's how Paul ends his thought here in chapter 9. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Once again, you will be enriched in every way so you will always be generous. When we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. And so two good things will result from the ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem, Jerusalem met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Two good things accomplished. The needs met and thanks and glorification to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give God his glory for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection. Thank God for this gift. God gives so that we give. Receiving blessings means using them, means giving of them, not hoarding them. And it all boils down to that simple truth and that simple statement. God gives so that we can give. A blessing is understood and recognized as from God, and it enables us to connect others to God. And that fulfills our call and command to do God's work, to minister to people, to spread the good news. Understanding this, this connection, this profound connection of receiving and giving blessings should motivate us to these righteous works. This is what Paul says here, 2 Corinthians. We cannot hope to hoard what we are given from God. It doesn't work like that. Job was considered a righteous man, and he saw everything, not that he was hoarding it, but he saw everything go away like that. He was a righteous man. What we have now is, is temporary. What we have now is fleeting. We'll go away. We need to receive what we have now in a way that gives back now with every um, pursuit and opportunity to do so in a way that's useful, in a way that's beneficial to growing the kingdom of God, in a way that points others to the thanksgiving and glory to God, as Paul says here. What distinguishes us from, uh, you know, just do-gooders for the sake of do-gooding, you know? Like, I hear that in podcasts, these people talk about, you should just do good, man, because it's good, and doing good feels good, and it, what does that even mean? Like, what is that based in? Um, what distinguishes us from people like that is like understanding that sort, of, that sort of juncture, if you will, that takes place when God provides, there's the juncture, we output. Understanding that, taking joy in that, because we know that once we give, God will give so that we can give, and then once God gives, we can give, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> what we find at that juncture, that intersection of of sustainability and sustenance and, and receiving and giving is, is God's glory and our own joy. And that, that's rewarding and it's fulfilling. So we have a reason to do good because God does good. We don't do it just because of nothing. Woohoo, you know, um, because of feelings, because this is what we're shown in our relationship with God. We do this because this is what we're shown. It's a gracious act of giving that we receive. We give a gracious act of giving. And it's not done through our own work and merit. So I'll stop there.
out of, again, sensitivity to Colin's coming weeks. I'm sure he'll touch more on it. Maybe he even goes into 2 Corinthians chapter 9 or chapter 8 again. I don't know. It's up to him. But anyways, through these last few weeks, I hope that you guys have developed a new or maybe even just an encouraging understanding of what it means to receive blessings. So I'll end with these four questions one final time for the month. How can you better utilize the blessings you have in a useful way toward the body? Toward people in general, but toward the body. How are you putting your blessings back into the mix, if you will? Are you stingy with what you have? Do you fear losing what you've been given? What fruit have you seen when using the gifts God has given you? And on the contrary, what fruit have you seen when not using the things God has given you? Have you seen opportunities go by where you knew you could have used what God gave you to give back to someone in a need? And then lastly, is your attitude toward giving geared toward pleasing man or geared toward God who remembers forever, as Paul talks about here? So, Let's discuss for one final time receiving blessings through these questions. Thank you guys.